Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and an actor. And I'm Caroline Sita, a film and TV critic for the AV Club. So the way this podcast works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. We are right in the middle of our second series discussing British actor Emily Blunt. Last week we did a kind of a special two-parter. We discussed A Quiet Place and we did our first new release evening of special immediate reaction for A Quiet Place Part 2, which movies we thought were good and all right, respectively. Yeah. But you can listen to those uh, episodes and get our whole our whole take on that. And today we have moved to what Caroline and I were just saying right before we started recording is probably the most serious movie we've discussed so far. I mean, very, very serious, very grim. Um, Denis Villeneuve's drug war, borderlands, drama, thriller, Sicario. And this was my first time watching it. Uh, I knew that Emily Blunt's performance had been praised in it. So I thought, let's, uh, let's give it a go. Um, how'd you feel about this one, Caroline? It was also my first time watching it. It was, a, this has just been a weird blind spot movie for me for a while now. And I was excited that this podcast was an opportunity to finally dig into it. So yeah, I also think this is, this will be fascinating because usually going into these, I know what you're opinions on a movie are because it's yeah. usually a movie we've talked about before so this is like fresh territory for both of us so yes yes my my general thoughts on sicario are that for the first like two-thirds of its runtime i was so locked into this movie i was kind of shocked by how much i loved it because these sort of like crime organized crime movies are usually not my favorite genre yeah and i thought this was such a interesting take on that genre and then the last third i think sort of started to lose me and made me question if perhaps the movie i had watched was like less intelligent than i was giving it credit for but i will admit this is very much like a still processing review for me and i'm sort of excited to process it with you over this conversation i experienced i think something Something similar. I would say that at the end, I was like, hmm, what happened to that feeling I had towards the beginning? It maybe wasn't, I didn't have quite as strong a reaction as you did. Although, as you say, perhaps it'll be this conversation where I will realize, oh, <laughs> there were all these things I didn't, I didn't uh, pick up on. I was definitely gripped in the beginning. Um, I mean, the opening is... I would say shocking, but not in the way that I think, you know, the sort of like, I don't know, exploitation film, Shockmaster. It didn't just feel like uh, shock for its own sake, but it is nevertheless a highly jarring image. I mean, the very first scene is Emily Blunt as this FBI agent leading a sort of a SWAT team raid into a house where after gunning down a few i guess cartel members they accidentally expose a hole in the drywall and they peel it away and find there are all of these bodies sort of like 
strapped in and decomposing just behind fresh drywall in this house. An absolutely horrifying, striking image that begs this whole mystery, which I only, after the movie was over, realized had not become the central focus of it. I mean, it sort of is, it serves as this incident to get the character of Kate Maser like, I'll do anything to bring down the men who are responsible for this. Right. And it's also, it's not just that the house is literally lined with bodies. Then there's an explosion that happens yes. and kills two police officers in front of her, which, it, I mean, you're so right that this just, there. this is not a movie that eases you in. Like, it literally opens basically with a, with like a police van crashing through a wall and then yes. sort of doesn't really let up from there. No, no, but it plunges her into this sort of, world of intrigue but it's a specific it's a specific kind of intrigue it's not like i don't know glamorous spies in cafes it's from the very beginning where this sort of mysterious figure uh in flip-flops josh brolin's uh dod advisor matt graver and his even more mysterious he just says my bird dog alejandro Who's Benicio del Toro? Which is Benicio del Toro, um, and they make a really they make a really interesting trio. I mean, when they're getting on the plane in the beginning, and I'm like, hmm, what are these three going to get up to? How's it going to play out? Who's a baddie here, if anybody? I just didn't know how it was all going to unfold, and as it goes along, they are. I really dug the way the film is shy on exposition. And I learned that, um, so the the figure of the Sicario, uh, the hitman, as it's some as it's translated in the opening pre-titles, is not. I mean, that's that's Benicio del Toro's, and he's not really moving the plot forward so much. He's sort of lurking in the background, giving our sort of everyman cipher Kate Maser this sense of unease. It is gradually revealed over the course of the film that this whole operation, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple twist drops. The first is that Josh Brolin, who is denied being a CIA agent because the CIA can't operate on American soil, actually is a CIA agent. And that was the reason why, why Emily Blunt's FBI agent was recruited in the first place to sort of give this legal loophole auspice to allow the CIA to operate on U.S. soil. And then the sort of next, even later reveal is that Benicio del Toro is a former uh, is a former lawyer for the Medellin cartel, like the Pablo Escobar drug cartel, um, and that he is being employed because of his, I guess, resourcefulness and skill at getting what he needs. He's being employed by the CIA in order to go after these Mexican cartels in order to eliminate competition so there can be, as Josh Brolin puts it, like one cartel that the U.S. can sort of control and exert influence on for a sense of order. So it's basically... It's basically the, a movie where everyone is bad and everything you think <laughs> could be bad is worse than you think it will be. Yeah, you could, you could say that. That It's it's no Mary Poppins Returns, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, uh, it just sort of unfolds in that way with with Emily Blunt doing 
I would say a sort of a a neutral. I don't mean personalityless, but but she is she feels just like a sort of like dogged eyes forward fed with a clear sense of principle. I mean, it's not an unfamiliar narrative to see the it's the principled person who just wants to make things right in the world and gets involved with these older, more jaded law enforcement figures who are operating from a shadow war ends justify the means perspective. I mean, yeah, that's a that's sort of a classic story. And it also feels a bit like Apocalypse Now with the city of Juarez, Mexico subbed in for, you know, the jungles of Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And, the, you know, this this drug war subbed in for the Vietnam War because it's a person sent in on a mission they don't properly understand. And then it becomes sort of about getting lost in the horrors of that. So, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely sort of a a. Uh, a slog into darkness for her and but i'd say you know it keeps up this good sense of mystery as it goes along i found myself very curious about how things were going to play out and who everyone was um although i agree that the ending is not quite the ending doesn't pack quite the punch that i think some of the earlier sequences do well, I think what makes the beginning so effective, like the first two thirds I was so into, is the mm-hmm. sense of mystery. And so much of that mystery is anchored in Emily Blunt. Like, I think she's a very, Kate is like a very, in some ways, you're right, it feels familiar, like the idealistic young agent who, you know, learns how bad things really are. But I think in other ways, she feels like a very unusual character for this type of movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like, she really is passive but in a way that's very compelling like so much of this movie Mm -hmm. is just watching her try to process things as we the audience are trying to process things and and i don't know the movie like it leans into that sort of basic conceit but it takes it so far like it really throws you into the confusion and so much of it you really do feel like it's almost shot from her perspective like the way we're so close up in her face and then she'll kind of look over at benicio and be like what's up with that and the like yeah complete confusion of she'll she'll get on a plane and they're like oh yeah we're going to texas and they're like jk we're going to juarez and we're doing this whole you know illegal mission and we're just sort of like throwing you into it and that whole sense of being thrown into it is i think what makes it so compelling because your brain is really your brain is working overtime to sort of figure out the the mechanics of like the drug cartels but it's also even more so working overtime to figure out like what the hell the americans are doing yes and you know clearly this is not on the up and up but like to what level is it not on the up and up no it's extremely clandestine and throughout it all uh jaded flip-flop wearing matt graver is telling her like just don't worry about it okay we're we're going after the bad guys so just just keep your head down and uh you know when alejandro tells you to do something you just do it that extraction scene where they drive into Juarez and then cross the border back into El Paso, Texas, is I think probably the most effective like full sequence of the movie. For sure, and it's I great. I definitely include you know the chapter beforehand where first off she's on a plane with this mysterious guy in a suit. Josh Brolin, who is supposed to be her liaison, goes to sleep and leaves her kind of like 
to encounter and puzzle at the character of uh, Alejandro Gillick. And, and then they arrive at this Air Force base where they literally arrive in the middle of a briefing where some guy is briefing this this Delta team who they says has been like cycled back in from Afghanistan, giving you the impression of like, okay, these are people who are pretty used to the on the grounds of maybe some of America's like shadiest stuff abroad. I mean, the the movie definitely is creating this impression of an American intelligence and sort of black ops military world that is at this point extremely accustomed to doing kind of whatever they have decided is appropriate. But you have this real sense of unease because you say it keeps returning to Emily Blunt's point of view. And as you say, she's she's trying to be sort of tight-lipped about it, but you know, there's this like crease in the eyebrows of her looking around and everything like, what does that, what does that mean? And then I, I wrote down this one little moment where Benito de Toro says, nothing will make sense to your American ears and you will doubt everything we do. But in the end, you will understand. And I'm like, yeah, I like having a little cryptic prediction at the beginning of the movie that you sense, you sense just because of the way they're the sort of mystic era of seriousness and expertise they're painting around this character you just know that that is how the arc of the movie is likely to play out which it does and doesn't because i wouldn't say that she actually she doesn't do what this character does in some adaptations which is in the final act to be like oh i get it and i will now do yeah the the most like nasty things in order to you know pursue this goal she she just I think tries time and time again to speak up and try to bring people back to some sort of moral center. I mean, particularly there's this idea of doing things by the book. That seems to be what she keeps coming back to. But it keeps being like, the machine's just moving too fast. There's nothing really you can do. And that's definitely true in that very intense scene as they're driving into Juarez and she's in this sort of uh, blockade or... um, Motor, sorry, motorcade of black cars. She's sort of looking around at the world with this like claustrophobic anxiety about what's going to happen. And uh, and then there's this, it's not even really a shootout at the border. It's a tense moment of waiting for a gun to be drawn and a gun is drawn. And then these soldiers basically blowing away two cars full of potential assassins. And Emily Blunt has to, has to shoot a, a corrupt cop and just she just goes fuck and reacts to that that moment yeah one thing i think that this movie does well is it makes the times when emily blunt's character has to kill someone you always feel the weight of that mm-hmm. i think it happens two or three times and you can tell how much that weighs on her yeah which i think is an interesting thing to have in a movie like this where a lot of times the deaths can feel sort of meaningless you know shocking but they're not they're also sort of supposed to be cool in a way like i think that's kind of what the line i'm always treading with this sort of like crime thriller genre is how much it is making it is both aiming for realism but trying to make violence look cool which i Mm -hmm. think are goals that are at odds with each other yes whereas at least with superhero movies 
they are trying to make violence look cool, but they are not trying to be like, and we're also realistic. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like, if you want to be a fantasy where violence is cool, I can wrap my brain around that. If you want to be something realistic where violence is supremely uncool and like horrifying, I can wrap my head around that. But when you're kind of trying to be both, when you're trying to be realistic and horrifying, that's when I struggle. But I think with with Kate, when she does have to kill someone, you feel the weight of that on her. Yeah. Counterpoint to my own point is that I'm also hesitant around movies that are like, and the hero is an FBI agent or the hero is a police officer or, you know, like this is, it's questioning whether it's better to do things, you know, illegally and sort of just to get things done or better to do things by the books procedurally. But like my meta question is like, is the even procedural by the books way not like, is it efficient? Like, is that even good and moral, which is beyond the scope of this movie to ask. But that always makes me hesitant when it's like, yeah, you know how the heroes are, <laughs> the FBI has never done anything fucked up in the world. Like what I, a nice, heroic, idealistic FBI agent. I did have the question a couple times of whether or not we were watching a piece of copaganda, you know, basically like there's, there's movies and TV shows about a bank of fully heroic cops or fully heroic FBI agents or soldiers. And those, I think, are, yeah, they're, they are essentially propaganda pieces. Like Law & Order, basically. Law & Order SVU. Any sure. of these, like, police procedurals are basically just like, yeah, our, our heroes are cops, and they're always trying to do good moral things. And then there's movies that are like, you've got corrupt cops out there. You know, they take the, the look at uh, acknowledging corrupt cops, but you have hero cops. I mean, like... Let's look at the Dark Knight universe that sure. we've discussed when we were doing Christian Bale. That's that's one in which you have you have a lot of corrupt Gotham cops. You have a sense of Gordon being this like this one hero cop. But ultimately those movies, particularly as they go along, climaxing with like Batman leading like a wave of heroic cops against Bane's released prisoners, they sort of take the idea of, you know, police are at their core fundamentally good people here to protect us. Something that, you know, I sort of once accepted unquestioningly and which news stories in the world and like educational perspectives I've been exposed to over the past few years have certainly complicated that question. I wasn't sure as I was watching this movie how to feel about how it fit into that spectrum because I think it definitely leaves you with the idea that the American government's sort of covert ops wing in particular is you know essentially willing to use let's say at least unethical and illegal and you could also say amoral tactics to pursue what they see as you know to pursue what they see as justice i do agree that it does a little bit of saying like the fbi is you know your sort of like plain moral center, unlike mm-hmm. the shady, shady CIA. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's not, not the FBI I know, but yeah. Um, and, uh, to, you know, to whoever is listening in on this podcast right now from the FBI. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit murky. I mean, I, I wouldn't call this your most classic straight up piece of copaganda, although. I do think it does raise the question. As you say, it's like everyone is bad. It isn't, it, it, it certainly also leaves you with the idea that, you know, the cartels are 
barbarous and cruel and that taking out the cartels is not a bad thing. But it, I think, explores that sort of world of like, you have to, in order to beat the bad people, you have to be bad people. Yeah. And it doesn't excuse that. I don't know. It's interesting that it's, so there, it's, I think, the first of writer Taylor Sheridan's, I may have the chronology wrong, but uh, he wrote a series, like a trilogy of modern frontier, sort of like post-post-westerns. It does feel of a piece with that world of post-westerns, the anti-westerns, which are like, everybody ends up dirty in the end. You know, nobody comes out clean from these sort of affairs. And it ultimately kind of breaks Kate Maser. We don't know really what her fate is, but she just seems like she's she's broken down by the end of it. I do think a credit of the movie is its moral ambiguity and its, I mean, I remember talking about this on our Devil Wars Prada episode and how it was a credit to that movie that this is a lot like it that. does not come down on, you know, either Miranda Priestley equals good or Miranda Priestley equals bad. I think sometimes with Sicario, because it is so morally ambiguous, mm-hmm. um, people, and, you know, I'm sure I did this too, but people kind of project what they want onto it in that I think that there are some people who come away from this film feeling like it's trying to argue that the ends do justify the means and Mm -hmm. it is sort of right that they were, you know, willing to violently take out these cartels in the way they do. I think the movie itself is, is not agreeing with that. I think it's not a case of Kate ends up sacrificing her principles. Like she only agrees to the, to the illegal, she sort of ends up signing off on this whole mission as, you know, pretending that it was legal the whole time. I mean, she literally only does that with a gun to her head. So it's not like this is a case where she has willingly sacrificed her, you know, principles. Yes. A scene that is effective, but definitely says the quiet part loud about yeah, the ways yeah. in which sort of a uh, legal permission is obtained. And then the final shot, which I do think is effective, is, you know, we've seen that Benicio del Toro ends up taking out the sort of biggest um, head of the drug cartel. And and they, they've sort of been saying, once that happens, you know, we'll be able to take back control. But what we ultimately see is a kid at a soccer game and you hear like gunshots in the distance again not so subtle but implying that you know these cycles of violence are going to continue the ends have not really justified the means because you haven't really changed anything but i think that there's enough gray space in the movie where you can sort of read it multiple ways and i admittedly have not seen the sequel to this movie but i think that the sequel leans a little bit more into the just machismo shoot it up action less intelligence to the moral ambiguity which i think then also makes you question like how much was going on is this movie are are we giving too much credit to this movie's intelligence and this might be a case of a screenplay and a or a director sort of bringing out more interesting things in a screenplay because sort of what i was reading about this movie it seems like there's a lot of things that uh Denisville knew and even like Benicio del Toro they were sort of making these more interesting choices than maybe the script had I think Benicio had a lot of long expository monologues that mm-hmm. then he was sort of like hey I can convey all of this just like without saying anything can we just cut this whole monologue and I'll just sit here which I think is you know that's the kind of stuff that's so effective about the movie is is keeping him a mystery and it's interesting to hear that maybe the screenplay's impulses were not as interesting as the final film ended up being. Because you got a sequel with the same writer, different director. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, I'm not actually that well-versed. I'm not that well-versed in Taylor Sheridan, the writer. 
although I've been dying to watch Hell or High Water. I yeah, I'm a big Hell or High Water fan. That, to its credit, Hell or High Water, I think, is a really great sort of neo-Western, mm-hmm. again, morally ambiguous in a very compelling, good way. Yeah. I would give that two thumbs up from me. And I'm not that familiar with Denis Villeneuve either. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with his work, but I actually haven't seen very much of it. And I was very impressed with the directing on this movie. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It sounds like that was a fruitful collaboration. I'd also read that same tidbit about him and Benicio del Toro making decisions to take away this exposition which is something actually that Taylor Sheridan also said he likes to do. But I think, yeah, what we both sort of cited was this uh, sense of uncertainty running through it is what makes this movie so good. This And, it, and it's, it's also in the way that it's shot. Uh, it's shot by Roger Deakins, who's, who's, you know, of all the types of positions that we've discussed, I mean, at the start of this podcast, you and I said, like, maybe what we best understand is acting, or or mm-hmm. perhaps just that's an angle that we're really excited to to look at. Um, I have less of a vocabulary to discuss cinematography or score, uh, two things that I thought were really great on this film. Um, but I'm beginning to be able to recognize the handiwork of Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, who is just really great and mm-hmm. fills this movie with beautiful shots that without which you can just see it feeling again a little bit more like a kind of a run-of-the-mill forgettable machine gun thriller well this is my question and maybe this will lead us into a little more of the the final third and i know we still have all of you know the emily blunt specific stuff to talk about but Mm -hmm. so the final the final like act of this movie is a sort of raid into Juarez through these tunnels that the cartel has been smuggling in. And basically they're, they're mainly trying to sneak Benicio Benicio del Toro's character in so that he can violently murder. I guess there's really not a way to murder. That's not violent. So he can murder (laughs) the uh, ultimate drug Lord that's running this whole thing. He also ends up murdering the guy's two sons and his wife, because we learned Benicio del Toro's um, wife and daughter have been murdered by this guy or at this guy's order and so it's it's you know he's working with the cia for this big picture thing but also has this personal vendetta thing that was the scene the scene where he murders the family where i was like oh is this just like a basic ass like b movie (laughs) but it was shot so beautifully it was directed so well the cinematography was so beautiful that it fooled me into thinking it was smarter than it was and that's the sort of question that i have where i'm saying like i love the first two-thirds so much but once we get to a scene that that is shocking like i did not expect him to murder the children it's horrifying it's it's effective in that sense but it also felt like a scene i've seen a lot of times in again, this sort of crime genre that I'm not the biggest fan of, where it feels like the violence is supposed to be both horrifying in a realistic way, but also sort of cool in a cinematic way. And that was where I was like, oh, is this just a B-movie that's dressed up to look nicer than it is? Well, I mean, at, at what point, that's a that gets into a very interesting question of how many things are considered nice dressing for a B movie before it just becomes a quality movie? Like, where is that? You know, that's that's an amorphous thing of like, yes. what is the? I mean, I mean, we we feel like the central characters of this movie are interesting characters, and it's well shot, it's well directed, the acting is really good because the score is great. Like, when does it become? I think actually a question of intelligence. I mean, one of the questions that 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 sort of raises for me and it's one that i i don't know that much is like 
I think some of the intelligence or merit of this film to assess that I would need to understand where it fits in with the truth and with the mm-hmm. media understanding of this actual setting and conflict, which yes. I am certainly no expert on. I, I did I did read just a few sort of articles in reaction to this. I mean, there was a, the mayor of Juarez, you know, urged a boycott of this movie uh, and was, you know, I think at one point, discussed sort of contemplating suing for defamation because it portrays it's certainly the vision of Juarez is essentially as this constantly violent citywide slum where butchered bodies are hanging from the viaduct and he's sort of saying you know that may once have been true of Juarez but there's been this massive turnaround the last 10 years this is going to create this idea and I do get suspicious of a movie that seems to have been helmed mostly by white Americans and Europeans uh, with, it seems like, not a ton of, I don't know, actual like Mexican involvement mm-hmm. in the in the like artistic higher ups in a movie that is, has its eyes like squarely focused on Juarez. Yeah. I mean, I think you were correct in the sort of Apocalypse Now comparison where it sort of feels like as much as this is set against the backdrop of, you know, Mexican drug wars, you could sub in a lot of same backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And it would it, it really is a movie that's first and foremost about the character conflicts, which is fine. A lot of movies you could sub in the character conflicts for different settings. Yes. But I think you're right that when it is a real world thing that is frequently treated in this way in American media. Like, it is kind of wild that you think, you know, Mexico is one of our closest country, like, literally our neighbor. And it is kind of a shame that I feel like 90% of the stories about Mexico that are told in American cinema are sort of this story. Yeah. And if this story were one of a, you know, diversity of movies about Mexico made from an American point of view, then I think it would stand out less. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of like, oh, yeah, I wish we we didn't keep telling this story with so little specificity. And again, sort of a story jazzed up for the coolness of the violence, mm-hmm. even if the violence is also horrific. It, And again, we're not, at least it's not what some movies would be, which is, uh, you know, sort of standing blithely in praise of America as bringing, bringing civilization here. I mean, it's, 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 it's got American foreign policy in its crosshairs, but nevertheless has a portrayal of Juarez and by extension, just like Mexico under the thumb of the cartels that I could certainly see some objection to. I I have a sense of unease about myself and someone, those who know the specifics might object to it further. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting to have this, subplot where it follows the character of Silvio uh, played by Maximiliano Hernandez who I recognize from Captain America Civil War Um, (laughs) I was like is that Jesper Sitwell the Hydra agent (laughs) playing a very different part Um, it is an interesting thread to have in this script where I was thinking about it when you were mentioning earlier the way in which this movie doesn't it doesn't gun down its nameless assailants in the same sort of, with the same sort of complete like blase attitude that many do, where it's like when people are coming at the main character with machine guns, like they're gunned down and then they don't exist. And we're, 
never going to interrogate whether whether that was a sad thing that they had to die. Because seeing as Silvio here is not, he's not the target. He's not one of the cartel heads. He's kind of in a sense like the last nameless pawn in the drug war to die in this movie. Except he's not nameless because you follow him at all these times and you see his sort of life with his kid and you learn that he likes jalapenos with his eggs and uh you know his throughout the film we're checking out on this little subplot but we don't know what it is exactly. and it's sort of like a dad with a kid and we're like oh is he involved in this in some level we see him in a, a mexican police uniform so then we're like okay is he how does he fit into all of this yes. and then at the end he is revealed to be working for the cartel seemingly he's a drug mule yeah, yeah. i don't want to say reluctantly but he's not like the higher up who's sort of it feels like he's doing it as a job sort of yeah and then he ultimately gets killed sort of like you're saying it's sort of like oh what's the backstory of the nameless thugs that get killed in these movies and and sort of he's killed off unceremoniously but i think that's sort of the point of it yes that is an interesting thing to have in here and without it it would feel like this movie was even less interested in the humanity of any of the any of the uh Mexican people who are actually involved with or affected by this. Although I also think, you know, it makes it pretty clear that the sort of American higher up direction of this task force is being motivated not by a desire to benevolently make Mexico better, but to get these influences out of the US and to retaliate for this, you know, PR debacle where bodies are being stored in a house on u.s soil and u.s cops are dying in this war on drugs yeah i mean you're right that a lot of this movie comes down to wow it's really fucked up that the american government will just i mean you know that's the horror of the sort of border crossing scene where they're they're in a situation where it feels like they might have enemies in the car around them and Mm -hmm. they've sort of been told like okay don't engage until these people engage with you these are like the rules we're following the combat Mm -hmm. rules we're following but they pretty much just gun them down and it's so effective yeah. that Emily Blunt's reaction is just like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, this is not, we are literally gunning down people in the streets surrounded by other civilians. Like this, you know, this is a, in some ways, in some ways it's to the film's credit that it's not answering its moral, morally ambiguous questions. But in other ways, I think sometimes, again, B-movies that want to dress themselves up fancier will just sort of be like, Ooh, it's that same shoot 'em up stuff, but it's morally ambiguous. So now it's actually artsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all these things, you know, they're all in the mix, and and I like the three central characters. I like four. I mean, I think uh, I didn't know Daniel Kaluuya was going to be in this movie. I'm delighted yeah, I to didn't see neither. him show up. Um, he's really <laughs> yeah, he's fun good. In this. He's really good. I love his little scene at the cowboy bar when he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a wife. I have a trailer and a wife. Yeah. She's my sister. <laughs> like, he's funny. Um, he he's, funny. Uh, I didn't know John Bernthal was going to be in this movie. And I am a John Bernthal stan. I don't think he's done enough movies that we could do him on this podcast. But if we ever wanted to do a spinoff where we like reviewed every episode of The Punisher. Oh, yeah. And just talk about how John Bernthal is giving one of the best superhero performances of all time, then <laughs> I would be down for that. Yeah. Did you know he also like uh, studied at in Moscow? He like was, I think, kind of like kind of a troubled kid, and was like, "I'm going to go to Moscow to study theater," and that wow. was how he got into acting. What a fascinating guy! And they came. He came and he's like, "I'm interested in doing some like uh, 
some sort of early modernist theater and they're like um did you know that you are fucking huge and jacked <laughs> how would you like to be an action star buddy um yeah he looks good in this in his his little uh two or three scene arc as the a corrupt american police officer corrupt yeah corrupt uh american police officer who then almost almost uh chokes Murders. out yeah and a little like a you know promising young England. woman vibe of him telling her like you did this you did this creepy 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 scene yeah that, that, that very then, unsettling um benito toro is there with a gun and then they just kick the shit out of him and he exits the movie um but yeah good good cast and i think strong atmosphere good performances uh beautifully shot strong images is probably how i'm gonna continue to Mm -hmm. think of this movie i think that's very fair i think i in particular have a like a little bit of a beef i think here's what i think as a person who regularly writes about rom-coms and is sort of trying to reclaim girl culture Mm -hmm. i think a b movie for girls you can't really dress it up in a way that gets the same critical respect as you can a B movie for boys. I mm-hmm. think if it's a, you know, I'm being very reductive and gender essentialist here, but if it's essentially a masculine leaning, you know, B movie and you dress it up a little bit, you can get a lot of critical awards acclaim and critical acclaim and people will tell how, say how important it is because people die. And so it's sort of like if it's violent, it's inherently important, even if we're not really questioning, is this violence realistic? Whereas I think a B movie for girls, is always going to get written off a little bit more, even if you dress it up. You you can't quite dress it up in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I find that hypocrisy frustrating. And that causes me to be pretty critical of this sort of like gritty crime, organized crime genre mm-hmm. in general. So I'm certainly bringing that baggage to Sicario. But the fact that this movie hooked me as much as it did for the majority of its runtime I mean, there's no denying it's effective, right? Like, if, I, if I'm a person going in with, like, my, you know, I, I'm skeptical of this movie to begin with, and it won me over, yeah. you're so right that there is something really effective about the filmmaking then. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do really hear what you're saying. This movie reminds me of the, uh, what's it called? The Hurt Locker, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Which... And Zero Dark Thirty, certainly, And too. Zero Dark Thirty. Um, it definitely reminded me of Zero Dark Thirty watching all these, like, uh, you know, CIA interrogations and, like, sort of uh, special black ops teams, like, getting their briefings. But it, it reminded me of Hurt Locker and the vibes of being this sort of critically celebrated, violent movie that nominally, that theoretically is criticizing the sort of world that it's looking at, but also, I think, as you say, is is, you know, very popular. And it's just an interesting, um, I mean, it reminded me of The Hurt Locker because my big beef with The Hurt Locker, which I did not really care for when I watched it, I think as much as I liked this one, maybe just because I didn't find as many characters that I liked watching. But um, but I think the really thing, the thing that really frustrated me about The Hurt Locker is I think because of its, because as you say, like, because people die in it and because of its sort of grittiness and shaky camness, it was sort of heralded as like finally an authentic look at the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which it is not at all an authentic look at those things. I mean, it may be emotionally authentic, but it does that with, you know, depicting a world that by all accounts of people involved, like, is not, you know, like, EOD people are not clearing buildings and, like, getting in these, like, 
sniper fights and going and breaking into random people's houses on these rogue missions. Uh, and I think similarly with this, people have, critics have questioned whether Sicario depicts the actual like logistics of the current like U.S. versus cartel conflict in a realistic way. But, you know, Denis Villeneuve has said like, you know, we're doing something more abstract and emotional. The other way that it, that they are lumped in together is interesting when you talk about uh, uh, gender essentialism because of the Hurt Locker being the the first time a woman won Best Director mm-hmm. at the Oscars, and she did it by doing a very, very yeah, like masculine movie. men punching each other and firing their machine guns. Yeah, I don't have yeah. a unified theory on this, but I think you raised That's some very okay. interesting points. <laughs> I like the Hurt Locker more than this, for what it's worth. Mm. Maybe we'll have to watch it and discuss it. I would not and say... what I like more yeah. than both of those movies yes. is Arrival. <laughs> the next movie that Denis Villeneuve directed. Oh, Arrival, yeah. Amy Adams. Speaking of Jeremy Renner. movie. And, and Amy, oh, yeah, Jeremy Renner. Yes, and Amy Adams, who I was watching recently in a, an Emily Blunt film. Um, yeah, Arrival is, is better than this, I think. And it does. Arrival is definitely smart. That's a brainy movie. Yeah, well, and also, this is, again, it's just like, what genres do you like? Crime, usually not my thing. Sci-fi, ooh, yeah, baby, yes. give, me, <laughs> give me any sci-fi yes. movie and I'm happy. But Should we talk more about, Emily I completely interrupted you, but yeah, should we talk more about Emily, our girl Emily? I was going to say, the, the, thing of, the thing about Arrival is, the problem with that is no Emily Blunt. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Emily Blunt is, is, I think, really good at this. Uh, I think that that character could be a total snooze fest or just sort of painfully naive if yeah. handled poorly in the way she just is sort of constantly like they can't get away with this they can't keep getting away with this i'm going with them again um but i think she does a really good job at balancing that and in small ways she continues to be like to just like the vibe from this is completely different from A Quiet Place, which is completely yeah. different from A Devil Wears Prada in ways that are not larger than life or I guess, you know, that don't scream method acty. She is just adopted a completely different mannerism, a completely different like physicality and uh, way of delivering lines that again just feels kind of so... Like, she's settled down into it that, again, if this was the only Emily Blunt movie you'd seen, you might be like, oh, yeah, I think I have her number. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of like a like a skinny, you know, cowboy reserved. jarhead. Yeah, reserved kind of a, you know, a good guy cop kind of a person. I completely agree. And especially watching this back to back with A Quiet Place, mm-hmm. because they are both largely, like, silent performances mm-hmm. that hinge on... Her just conveying a lot with her face. And reacting. And yet yeah. they could not feel more different, yeah. right? Like this character in Sicario, the way she is quiet in this movie is completely different than the way she's quiet in A Quiet Place. And th- I mean, this goes back to the idea of Benicio Del Toro being like, cut my dialogue, I can do it with my body. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, we both come from a theater background. So I think we tend to probably lean a little more towards dialogue, thinking about dialogue and writing as the key to acting. Yeah. But of course, and of course you have physical acting on stage too, but in film in particular, you can achieve so much with a close-up or with physicality. And 
it is such an interesting skill as an actor to be able to convey, you know, you have to have such control of your face and your body. Mm-hmm. And you really, this is, this is, it's not a big, I mean, it's a really small contained performance, but like you're saying, she's so in control of her physicality and her face and the way she's standing that it conveys a whole character that's so different than fun survivalist mom in, in a quiet place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it evolves over the course of the film as she becomes more and more just like desensitized to to moral compromise after moral compromise. I mean, like if you watch the way that she is looking around with this sort of like tightly raised eyebrow confusion in the very early scenes versus like when she feels like she's really been through the ringer later on and is like, I just have to like see this through to the end. Um that's a really interesting thing to track. And also there's not a ton of intimacy in this. I mean, she has a, she has a solid partner relationship with, uh, with Reggie played by Daniel Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. And she also has this weird, dark intimacy with Alejandro who feels in a way, I mean, it's interesting because the way that the sort of triangle plays with her and Graver, played by Josh Brolin, where Graver's CIA agent feels like he is, I mean, he's basically has like a flippant attitude about everything. Like, it seems like at this point he's, he's pursuing the mission, but he doesn't care. And he's not a, he doesn't really care about, you know, her feelings or anybody's, anybody's emotions in particular he's just like this is what it is okay and uh and he's sort of like sarcastic through the whole thing but alejandro has more of a like he actually sort of dignifies her questions even Mm -hmm. if he still doesn't always give her answers he doesn't always respond um and you learn he sort of says at the end like you remind me of my daughter which i think is an interesting choice to not make it you remind me of your my wife. Yes. They, and I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a smart one because it makes it, um, or, well, smart. It's, it's a purposeful one because it makes it a generational thing. It makes it feel like he's someone who's been in this for, you know, years and years. You know, he's been a lawyer in Juarez. He's been, a you know, an assassin for the cartel. And it sort of figures her in this as being, uh, not a, not truly a rookie cop, but like a young, a young person in this war and so it makes it like it sets him up as a kind of a mentor but it's like a dark mentor where at the very end you know she's she's pointing a gun at him and he just sort of looks at her like what and then she breaks down there's a there's that meme that's going around where it's about you know this actor understood the assignment and it'll be you know Mm -hmm. four photos of four great performances that are all very different from each other and i kind of a strange meme (laughs) I like it. I think that what it's like getting at more than anything, more than just like, oh, they give good performances. I think it's often highlighting actors who in every movie they're in are fully locked into the tone of the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's something like Stanley Tucci is so locked into the tone of Devil Wars Prada, but then he's so locked into the tone of The Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Like he's on the level that the movie is. And I think Emily Blunt is a great example of that because like, you know, we were talking about the silence in a quiet place is one tone, but then the silence in this is an entirely different tone. And she really feels like she's grounding 
the tone of this movie. And I had really never seen her give a performance like this that's just so, I don't know, just like such a regular person. Mm -hmm. Like in a way, I feel like everything else I've seen has been slightly more heightened. Mm -hmm. And it was like... But doesn't yeah, doesn't a quiet place feel doesn't a quiet place feel kind of like a regular person? It's just a very different regular person. Yeah, maybe. Who's much more you know, uh whose whose priorities are sort of maternal and familial as opposed yeah. to someone who is like really seems like she's set up and and well, and well situated for the uh for this, you know, martial law enforcement sort of world. But I still think the tone of a quiet place mm. is a little bit more like melodramatic not even just in the sci-fi alien thing but in the like heartwarming this is us family way yeah where no, you I really have you to mean. sell the emotions of it and this, i mean you're so right that they both feel like fully every all of her characters always feel like real people you know like emily and the devil wears prada feels like a real person too but it's like the tone of the real person is so in lockstep with the tone of the film itself yes i think that i made fun of that meme at a time because there were when I caught it, it was a lot of like, this actor really understood the assignment. And it's really like, this actor has worn four very different costumes. Yeah. But I know I do think there were some very accurate ones that were very on the nose. And I think you're absolutely right. Emily Blunt, she understands the assignment. And I think every yeah. actor that we discuss in here, we're interested in those actors who they understand the assignment. Who they can they really lock into the tone of what they're doing. What did you think of her American accent? I feel like other than the few scenes in A Quiet Place, this is really one of the very few times I've heard her do an American accent. It seemed good. I mean, if you're doing sort of, it's not, I mean, it's it's a, it's not a very pronounced Southwestern accent. Um, it's not a very, it feels just sort of like middle America flat. I mean, I know there's like no such thing as unaccented, but um, I thought it was solid. I thought it was better than ScarJo's British accent. That's sure. For sure. That's <laughs> yeah, I do think it is good. To be honest, I'm just so not used to hearing her with an American accent. It yeah. never kind of it kind of never stops being jarring. But I I think if I didn't know her at all and just watched this movie, I wouldn't question it. There is one part. It, I think it's the scene after another shocking moment where she's wearing a bulletproof vest, but Benicio del Toro shoots her in it to sort of her off his case yes and she's sort of like panting you know like catching her breath yes the way she was catching her breath sounded american and i don't quite know how to explain what i mean but it was like she was not breathing in a way where i was like oh if this person started it was not like oh i'm hearing the way emily blunt breathes as a british person i genuinely was like she's breathing as an american and I don't know what that means, but I feel like it is a reflection of her skill as an actor that even in that moment of silence, she's not losing the character. I think that she is somebody who's got her, like like the Tony Collettes of the world, she's got an American accent just like fully unlocked. At some point in her life, she just stuck it away and she's she's good to go with that. You know, Alan Cumming, it's another one that thinking of people that as a kid i didn't it that i learned who they were a long time before i learned they were british um she seems i literally just learned that guy pierce is australian earlier this week and it truly blew my mind i have never been more shocked by any (laughs) reveal of an actor's real i was so ready to believe he was just fully american 
I learned that about somebody. Who did I just recently learn was Australian? Tons of Australians out there. As we said earlier on the podcast, they're- yeah, I remember you saying that. They're killing us. <laughs> they're killing us. They're everywhere. Yeah. Um, but we welcome them. Other thoughts on Sicario? I think it's been interesting to talk about a movie like this. Our podcast has been a lot of sort of fun genre things, which I think you and I tend to be drawn to, mm-hmm. whether that genre is superhero or, you know, sci-fi or rom-com. Mm-hmm. And this is, yeah, this is an interesting movie for us to discuss. And I'm glad that you pulled it, both because it forced me to finally watch it and because I do think it's such an interesting use of Emily Blunt, pretty much like I, I think I've never seen her before or since. Yeah. And I'm interested down the line in this series in discussing a film that I think involves a somewhat similar performance, although I'll need to rewatch it to decide if I think that's true, but in a slightly different tonal genre. But before we get to that, we are going to do a fourth film next week. And I've been keeping you in lots of suspense about this one because... Yeah, I don't know what you're... Every other time I've known what you're leading up, this is a surprise for me as much as the audience. That's right. Uh, I was really waffling between several, and I watched several Emily Blunt movies this weekend to just, like, review and uh, think about where I wanted to go. And I think that, honestly, the most fun conversation we can have uh, is one that puts her front and center and does feature a a strong different genre and so next week we will be taking our trip from the u.s mexico borderlands to cherry tree lane oh boy mary poppins returns she's back ladies and gentlemen your favorite practically perfect in every way favorite practically perfect nanny with the magical hat bag has come back to look after the Banks children, and we are going to discuss that whole thing. So that's what's uh, that'll be definitely a a whiplashy tonal shift. Yeah. <laughs> if this conversation was too heavy for you, we can promise we'll have a lighter one next week, unless we end up talking about you know the geopolitics of the British Empire. <laughs> but I'm suspecting we won't. Well, it's funny. I watched. I watched. Uh, the Young Victoria is a movie that didn't make the cut, and as th- that starts with, like, she was destined to ascend the throne and rule over a great empire. And I was like, oh, yeah? How great was it? Was it great for the people who <laughs> oh, were being ruled? Yeah. But, uh, no, we won't get into that. Um, maybe we'll do a tiny little a tiny little corner for some of the other Emily Blunt films that we won't be discussing. Uh, Love that. Such as uh, Your Sister's Sister, which I really enjoyed, and uh, Sunshine Cleaning, maybe. Um but salmon fishing in the Yemen. Oh, well, I will have to watch salmon fishing in the Yemen, which I'm not opposed to doing. Um, is that a Ewan McGregor one? Yeah, it is. It's like a little, I find it to be a very strange movie. Watched it on a plane once. Sort of a rom-com, sort of a dramedy about <laughs> geopolitics. I don't know. Strange film. If I was uh, unqualified to talk about uh, to talk about the cartel wars of Juarez, I certainly am unqualified to talk about Yemeni politics. So that's why we won't be discussing that one, or that's just one of the many reasons. In any case, what we will be discussing is Mary Poppins Returns, and I think we will just have a blast, and hopefully you will as well. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Sita. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. 
You can follow us on Twitter. Please do. We would love to have some more followers, or at least I would, at RollCalling. Or email us, RollCalling at gmail.com. That's Roll, R-O-L-E. We are coming back next week to discuss Mary Poppins Returns. Until then... Congrats to Emily Blunt on always understanding the assignment. I thought about just screaming, fuck, but I thought that might be a little too much.